while the choir is returning to their seats, let me just say with what you're saying, surely, that that is such a touching, touching, beautiful offering. Thank you so much for helping us to get in the mood for this, uh, this season. And let me also say, if, if you have a bulletin that is blank on the inside, I'm still preaching today. <laughs> it has been nine years since I've had the privilege of preaching on the fourth Sunday of Advent, and I'm happy to be in this pulpit this morning. Would you stand for the reading of the gospel? St. Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked down with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, in accordance to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So let me ask a question for you to ponder during this sermon. Over the course of a lifetime, does giving and receiving balance itself out? You know, we're all givers at some point and all receivers at some point. In the end, when the scales are weighed, you know, does it all kind of balance itself out? out. There are some times when maybe we're primarily givers. Maybe there are other times that we are primarily receivers. Um, How does it all play out in the end? At first, I sort of thought about childhood, for instance, as being a time when when a, a child is all about receiving. I mean, they're eager for their Christmas gifts. They're going to receive them. Uh, Their food is provided them. Their clothing is provided them. Everything is provided for them. Uh, Everything. So at the earliest part of life, um, we're, we're receivers, aren't we? But then I got to thinking that's not completely accurate. Our children... And our grandchildren are givers as well. We'll experience that firsthand in just a few more minutes. They are givers in their laughter, 
They are givers in their vitality. They are givers in their naivete. They are givers in their quickness to forgive. My grandchildren are gifts to Bonnie and to me. And so I'm, I'm not sure whether childhood is all about receiving. And we might think um, as we get older, and particularly maybe when you get to be my age, that, that being older is about giving. Because, you know, when we get old enough, we have the means to give. We have the know-how. We have the time, and I, I hope we have the inclination. And so at my age, and maybe at some of your ages, adulthood is about, uh, about being givers. I was talking to my cousin last week. Her mother, my Aunt Betty, is 98 years old. At 98, Betty has decided to give most of her Arkansas farm away to a land conservancy. She could have given it to her three children. She has a good relationship with her children. She wanted to give it where it would keep on giving and be protected. And she told her daughter, at 98, I feel like I still have meaning in life by being able to give. So maybe adulthood is about giving, but, but even that is too simple. This last week, um, your church sent out two teams of people to deliver homebound communion. Marcus and Katie Griffiths were one team, and uh, Tommy and I were the other. Tommy and I went to two different... Um, uh, extended care facilities. And uh, yes, Tommy and I were the ones that brought the bread. We were the ones that brought the juice. But I'm not sure that I was the giver. I think I was the receiver that day. We sat around with um, the people that Tommy and I served were all women. And to hear their spirit, to see their faces, to listen to their stories. Those ladies had things that they said to me that brought tears to my eyes. And I walked out of their rooms. I was a receiver, not a giver. And so this, this whole giving and receiving uh, thing, it's all kind of tangled and tumbled up together. And I, I just kind of want us to think about giving and receiving and, and if I can call it kindness and uh, ask us about practicing kindness. I'm thinking about the kindness, for instance, that Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus received at Bethlehem. We say there was no room at the inn. 
which is rather ironic because Bethlehem has 80 hotels now. But none of those were there on that first Christmas. And somebody unnamed was kind to Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. I don't think they found that stable, that manger by themselves. Somebody led them there. Somebody gave them shelter. I think somebody perhaps brought a blanket for Mary and maybe the baby Jesus. I'd like to think that somebody brought them some hot broth, some encouragement, and maybe even went out in the village and found a midwife. It would not be overstating it to say that in Bethlehem, God received kindness. Hear that. Chew on that for a while. That in Bethlehem, God not only gave kindness, God received kindness. If, if Jesus is true light of true light, the word of proceeding from the Father, the Son of God, then as an infant in Bethlehem, God received kindness. Even when we think about divinity, there is this, you know, there's give and take about kindness and receiving. It's like inhaling and exhaling. And Jesus, who we often think of as, of course, being a giver, he, he gave himself for us. He was also a receiver all of his life. He received love from his family, as our choir so beautifully uh, sang about. But he received friendship. He was invited to people's tables for meals. A woman broke an alabaster jar and anointed him. Our Lord was both giver and receiver. How does this all balance out? Most of us, I hope, were taught by our parents or grandparents that we should love and respect and treat everybody with kindness. As I was working on this sermon, I remembered I hadn't thought about this place in forever. Patterson's Bicycle Shop in my hometown of Tipton, Indiana. Patterson's Bicycle Shop was not a storefront with a plate glass window. It was not a bricks and mortar building. Mr. Patterson had his bicycle shop in his house. He had a ramshackle house in my hometown built right next to the railroad tracks. You drove down a little gravel road with cinders uh, in, the, in the street to get to this house, a, a large house with shingles on the outside of the house that were falling off. And on the inside in the room where all the bicycles were, wallpaper peeling off the wall and a pot-bellied stove in the middle of that room, bicycles and parts strewn all over that room. Mr. Patterson was an unlettered man. His family lived in the dark recesses of the rest of that house. 
my father was always taking bikes over there. There were four in my family and we needed repair all the time from somebody. And I never saw my father treat Mr. Patterson with anything but the utmost kindness and respect. He treated that poor, unlettered laborer the same as he would have treated the bank president in my town. And my father may never have known that kindness is a gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't know whether anybody ever quoted that verse to him, but he sure demonstrated it to me. And most of you have had somebody taught you or showed you about kindness. The verse I really want to preach on today is uh, uh, from Ephesians 2. And just a part of that verse says something that to me is breathtaking. Ephesians 2. God, who is rich in mercy, shows kindness toward us. God, who is rich in mercy, shows kindness toward us. Have you ever had I don't know that I've ever preached on the kindness of God. We preachers, we like to talk about judgment and requirements and obligations and necessities and expectations and demands this and demands that. Kindness. Kindness. The kindness at Bethlehem. We are lifetime receivers of this kindness. You, construct, you can construct a theology if you want to. You can separate us into Baptist and Methodist if you must. You can obsess over who's in or who's out, who's saved or who's doomed. But we are all recipients of divine kindness at Bethlehem. I saw a little video last week, a news video, the kind Sarah would would perhaps have been out producing um, a, a video from Mayfield, Kentucky. And they were filming a homeowner. He was standing knee-deep in what used to be his home. Nothing around him but just tumbled down everything. And he was looking at the interviewer. We were looking into the face of the homeowner. And he said to the reporter, look around me. But what you and I saw was not so much um, all of the brokenness. He said, look at these people. He said, I don't even know their names. He said, they've come to help me. They are here. Uh, I, I don't know where they came from. I don't know who they are. But they've come to help me sort out what I can sort out in this house. He was overwhelmed by kindness. 
from people whose names he knew not. That's Christmas. God in Christ, when you and I are knee-deep ourselves in circumstances that we cannot rescue ourselves from. I was 18 years old, a freshman at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. I'd returned to my hometown for Christmas break. You know how big you feel when you come home that first Christmas. You're a college kid now. It was December. I got to thinking about it last night. I did the math. 55 years ago, this December, come on, it couldn't have been. I went to a party that December. It was at one of my high school classmates' house, five miles out in the country. Heavy snow that night. It was a good party. When it was over, I got back in my car, uh, drove down the long gravel driveway of their house to get back out on the main road. Just before I got on the main road, I realized something not quite right. I had a flat tire. That's no problem for an 18-year-old, right? I'm a young adult. I don't need anybody's help anymore. I'm self-sufficient. But I'm not sure I'd ever changed a tire yet. And I know I had never changed one in the darkness and in the snow. But I knew where the jack was and I pulled it out of the trunk, but I couldn't get the lug nuts to release. And this self-sufficient young adult who thought he knew everything had to trudge down that long driveway, feet crunching the snow with every step in that cold Hoosier winter, walking towards the light of that house. They had already sent the last people off. They were finished for the night, they thought, until they heard a knocking on the door. And a young man who couldn't help himself asking a father, would you come out and help me change my tire? The Doobie Brothers in a really silly song ask this question. Without love, where would you be now? Well, it wasn't a Christmas song, but it's a pretty darn good question. Without love, where, where would you be now? And if you need a Christmas song instead of the Doobie Brothers, I'll give you one. It has horrible grammar in this song. They used horrible grammar, which is irritating to me, but it makes the point. I wonder as I wonder out under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor ornery people like you 
and like I. The grammar's bad, but the point is good. For poor, ornery people, there was great, great kindness at Bethlehem, and we are all recipients. To answer my own question, I don't think the balance sheet ever quite adds up. We are all recipients and will always be recipients. We poor, ornery people over the course of our life will be picking our way along some dark, cold, uncertain path from time to time, feeling alone and vulnerable, walking toward that soft, glowing light of the manger, wherein we shall discover the kindness at Bethlehem.